Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I'll be taking my text from Matthew chapter 18, uh, starting with verse 21 through 22. I had spoke to uh, Brother Britt this, this week, earlier this week, and I found out that he was going to be here tonight because typically if he, if, if he asks us to speak on a Wednesday night, he's, he's not normally at church. And so I said, well, why in the world am I going to teach if you're going to be there? And so he didn't really say much about it, but I would say that I'm glad I didn't hear an amen to that. <laughs> Makes me feel a little bit better. Maybe there is some good news. But I am thankful for the opportunity. Reading from uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, we see that the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. As Brother Britt had already mentioned previously, we're continuing on with our our series through Sunday school. And the last time we had class, you know, Brother Paul Graham had spoke on the topic of go and sin no more. And today we're continuing with the theme of the power of forgiveness and what it means to forgive. And we see in Matthew 18, in the, the beginning of the chapter, it starts out with Jesus talking to his disciples. And the disciples are coming to Jesus and they're asking him, Lord, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I'm sure that they were probably thinking maybe it was one of them that maybe the, the Lord would tell them, that, well, it's you, Peter, or maybe it's, it's John, you know, who, who he loved so much. But the Lord surprised them and, and told them that it wasn't one of them, but, it was, but that they should be like the children. They should humble themselves as little children. So basically the Lord is telling them in that, in that verse that in order to be great, you have to humble yourself as a child. Then we come to verse 20, and Jesus is telling the disciples that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And there it seems that in that moment, he's reminding the disciples once again that it's not about just one of them in particular, but it's about them being greater, or about them being greater than the other. It's about them being great by working together. Then we find Peter, in verse 21, coming to the Lord, almost as if he's trying to find some way to make sure he's more righteous than the others. He's going to show the Lord how forgiving he is, and he comes to the Lord, and he asks the Lord a question. He says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? And we know what we just read in the Scripture. Peter thought that seven times was enough, but the Lord said, no, Peter. It's 70 times 7. And this is where Jesus begins his parable on forgiveness. And we see in this parable, he, he mentions a certain king. 
and how that the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. And in Matthew 18, verse 23 through 24, the Bible says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. So here we see the king, he had decided to take an account. He decided to look at his books, so to say. He decided to take a look and see who owed him money in the kingdom and who owed him the most. And I could imagine that maybe he started at the top of the list, and at the top of the list was the people that owed the king the most amount of money. And, and the, he finds this man who owes him 10,000 talents, the Bible says. Now, a talent was a measure of weight in silver or gold. And a talent, some say, was worth more than 20 years of wages for a common worker. So a talent was a lot. Other scholars have said that a talent was equal to 1000 or up to $30,000. So if you were to use $30,000 for the value of a talent, and this man owed 10,000 talents, well, in today's world, he would have owed $300 million. Now, that would, makes me question, what kind of accounting did the king have? that they would allow a common person like you and me, the average person in America makes forty dollars to $60,000 a year. If you have $300 million in debt, how in the world did that happen? Sounds like they had poor accounting. I would say this guy was probably the reason why we have, you know, uh, the credit bureau where they kind of check you out, make sure you don't have too much debt, debt to income ratio kind of stuff, you know. He probably was the prime example for how you need that, you know. So you could wonder, how could someone accumulate so much debt, only making so much money? But regardless, the amount the debtor owed was terrific. It was incredible. It was something that was insurmountable, something that someone would never be able to pay back in their lifetime. And Jesus and his audience knew what that meant for this man and his family. In Matthew 18, verses 25 through 26, Verse 25 says, For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Since the servant couldn't pay, the king had sentenced him and his family to slavery, and he had demanded all their possessions be sold and the proceeds be given to the king. Unfortunately, this didn't come close to paying for the full debt. During that time, slaves at a top price were sold for a talent each. But that's if they were a top slave, but usually they were sold for a tenth of a talent. So you could imagine the desperation that this servant felt in that moment. He knew that there's no way he could pay. And in one last plea for mercy, the indebted servant fell to his knees and he begged for one more chance. He begged for one more opportunity. And this would have made no sense at all. All the time in his lifetime wouldn't have been enough to repay this debt. But he was desperate. 
And desperation tends to get the attention of God. We can go through life and have some bad times, and maybe they're not too bad, not so bad that we don't think that we can't manage them on our own. And so we continue to trot along, plugging away, and things continue to get worse. But then things, they can become really, really tough. And then that's when we decide to call on God for help. We begin to beg and plead with God to work it out. We realize in those moments how helpless we are without him, how helpless we are without his guidance. And in our moments of despair, he always hears us. He's always faithful and just to hear us. And whether, we, we, whether he takes care of us right away or makes us wait a little bit longer, in that prayer of desperation, he usually comforts us. And in his peace and in his comfort, we know everything will be all right. The woman with the issue of the blood is another example of, of what desperation can do for you. She wanted to be healed so badly that what could possibly have been one of her weakest moments, with her last bit of strength, she managed to reach and lunge towards Jesus' garment. And with the tip of her fingers, she gently touches, touches Jesus' garment. Immediately, she's healed. I don't think she was healed just because she touched his garment, because there was all kinds of people around Jesus that day. There were throngs of people around him touching him. But it was her faith. It was her faith coupled with her desperation, knowing that this might be the last chance she ever had to have an encounter with Jesus. So knowing this, knowing that she wouldn't be able to have a second chance, she used every bit of strength she had left and she jumped with her feeble body at the feet of Jesus and touched him. She laid it all on the line because she was desperate. She was desperate for something more. And so we find this servant begging for mercy from the king. He didn't see any other way around it other than to plea and, and to beg for mercy. He was desperate for a way out of the situation, possibly because he couldn't bear the thought of losing his children, seeing his children in slavery. He couldn't bear the thought of seeing his wife sold to another man. So in his desperation, he pleaded and he begged for one more chance to pay it back. He had no idea how it would happen, but he was desperate. And because of his desperation, we see in verse 27 that Jesus' story takes a surprising turn. In verse 27, the Bible says, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. And just like that, his debt was gone. The king didn't mock him. He forgave him. There was no strings attached the king felt compassion for this man and didn't just lower his debt, but he forgave it. He forgave it all. He owed nothing. I could only imagine the joy of the servant in that moment to realize that he no longer had a debt. His family was restored 
His, his home was restored. He had his wife back. One minute, he's about to lose everything, and then the next minute, everything's given back because of the king's forgiveness. I can imagine the joy of the servant. He was thankful that the king had let him be saved from that, that, that judgment and the joy and rejoicing that it brought to him. And in this scripture, we see how that it applies to how God will forgive our debts. This is a snapshot of the mercy of God when he forgives all of our sins. Our sins are like debts that we owe to God. Our debt of sin is, is so used that we can never repay it. Because we can't pay it, we face great punishment. But God, in his great compassion, forgives us when we come to him and freely acknowledge we have no means to pay. Thank God he forgives the debt that we could never repay. This story also gives us insight into how great our sins are from God's point of view. Many of us think of ourselves as pretty good. Or maybe we think that we're not that bad when we look at it from our own human perspective. We may think we're better than most people in the world, and maybe we are. We might not be great saints, but I'm not a great sinner. It's easy to minimize our own sin by thinking that we're not that bad, that it's not that bad. However, we have no accurate sense of the number of times we have failed God. No matter how we feel about our sins, no matter what we think about them, the fact of the matter is God is pure and sinless. He is holy. We're like poor servants owing a debt of 10,000 talents that we could never repay. Our only hope is for our gracious king to have compassion on us and announce, I forgive your debt. You owe me nothing. The penalty of our unpaid sin is eternal death, and we all know this. It's eternal death and separation from God, and it's a, a lifetime in hell spent in torment. So all we can do is bow our knees to the Lord. All we can do is bow our knees to the King and plead for mercy. When we do, we, we are sure to find a King that is gracious and good and someone that's ready to forgive. Jesus was sinless, and he didn't deserve to die, but he willingly died in our place. God said his death would be a substitute for ours if we turn to Jesus in faith. The cross is all about Jesus paying the debt we could never pay. The story again took a surprising turn but an unpleasant one. Our friend, the servant that we first read about, he was just forgiven of his unpayable debt. And then in verse 28 of chapter 18, we see that the Bible says the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, 
Pay me that thou owest. So he ran out of the throne room. He leaves the mercy of God. His debt's forgiven. Life is great again, and the first thing he does is he goes and finds another servant. He grabbed his debtor by the throat, and he chokes him. He's demanding that this man pay everything he owes. But the second debtor, in Jesus' parable, only owed his friend a hundred pence. And it's said that that would only take about three months to repay. So the debt was incomparable to the first servants. This debt was payable. It was pennies compared to the millions the other man owed. The second servant responded, responded just like the first servant. In verse 29, he says, And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Verse 30, And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. So here is the unpleasant turn of events. No matter how merciful and forgiving the king had been to the first servant, his heart was unmoved by what had happened. His heart was also unmoved by his fellow servant's plea for mercy. He threw his debtor into prison until he could pay the debtor back. He would remain imprisoned until his family or friends could pay the debt for him or until the prisoner worked off the debt. This kind of shocking behavior could not remain hidden. Some of the king's other servants witnessed this ungrateful act and they, they told the king about what they had witnessed, about how the other servant had been so ungrateful in what he had done to, the, to his fellow servant. And no doubt, these other servants heard of the un extraordinary kindness of the king that he had shown the first servant. So I'm sure they were baffled and they, they probably didn't understand the actions of the first servant. So when they saw how cruelly he treated his brother, they couldn't believe the hypocrisy and ungratefulness. I'm sure they thought, how could he possibly act that way after all he had been forgiven of? Then we learned that the king, he got word of what had happened. And when the king learned what the first servant had done, the king was shocked and furious. In verse 32 it reads, then, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So we see the king summoned the servant to return to the throne room and called him wicked. The forgiven servant had failed to show the same kind of mercy to others that he had received from the king. The king said, you should have treated him as I had treated you. 
you should have showed him the mercy that I showed you. But because the servant refused to be merciful, he was disqualifying himself from receiving mercy. His unpayable debt was his to pay. The first servant was thrown into prison himself until he could pay all his debt. But everyone knew that he would die in prison. And this not only meant that he would die, but it meant that his family would probably die as slaves as well. So his unforgiveness not only affected him, but it affected generations after him. And we must learn to forgive others as Jesus has forgiven us. In case we missed the point of this powerful story, Jesus made it very plain in verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So a forgiving God requires us to forgive others. I must forgive. You must forgive. Why? Because our debt owed to God is much greater compared to any debt a person could owe us. If God was willing to forgive us of, of all our sins, if God is willing to forgive us of our impayable debts, we must be willing to forgive others of their debts as well. And if we refuse to forgive, not just struggle, because I think it's normal that sometimes we struggle to forgive, but if we just refuse to forgive, Jesus taught that God will not forgive us. In Jesus' sermon in Matthew 6, he taught us to pray. Matthew 6, verses 12 through 15 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is calling us to forgive today, else we will not be forgiven. He's calling us to always be willing to forgive, no matter how hard it may be. Remember what Jesus, how he answered Peter's question? about how often we are to forgive others by saying, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy-seven times. This is a very difficult teaching. And I think obviously we know what Jesus meant by seventy times seven. He didn't li literally mean for us to do the math and to come up with 490 times and to count every time we forgave somebody until we reached that point. The point was that no matter how many times we got to forgive, we should forgive. But it's not an easy thing to do. It's a, it's a difficult lesson to live by. It's a teaching that is very difficult. Depending on the sin committed against us, it can almost be revolting or offensive to us to think that we need to forgive. We might have difficulty with Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. In this story, because we don't believe our sins against God 
could be such a huge unpayable debt. As far as we know, we haven't really hurt someone else or been too wicked towards someone else. We can't believe our sins against God are quite as bad as someone else's sin against us. But in this story, Jesus was trying to show us something. He's trying to show us how God views the situation. Our being born into sin and the multiple sins we have committed over our lifetime against him by breaking his law are greater than someone's sins against us. They don't even compare. If God forgave us, we must forgive others. Otherwise, we disqualify ourselves from being forgiven by God. Now, certainly there are benefits that that come to us when we forgive others. There are studies that have shown that some of the benefits of forgiveness are improved mental health, less anxiety and stress, lower blood pressure, I must not be forgiven enough. (laughs) Fewer issues with depression. And the list goes on. So there's obviously benefits to it. And it's good to know and to experience these benefits. But these benefits are not why Jesus commanded us to forgive. He commanded us to forgive because God has forgiven us. It's that simple. The right reason for forgiveness is because God has forgiven us, and it's no more or no less. We don't have to overanalyze the situation of why or how or when. It's just God has forgiven us, so we have to forgive others. And I know this teaching can be hard, and it's not an easy thing to accept for some, because I know some people have been so wrong in their life that they can't see past that. But forgiving someone does not mean that what that person did was okay. It doesn't excuse the sin or the action as being okay. And of course, in extreme situations such as abuse, we would want to consult the proper leaders and authorities if necessary. It doesn't excuse those kinds of things. But what the Lord is calling us to forgive is he wants us to release the debt and put the person in his hands. Let him handle the situation. You may not be able to imagine how you could forgive a particular person. Maybe the act was so egregious, egregious you can't imagine how you would forgive them. But if you commit to forgive, God will help you through his spirit to forgive. He will strengthen you in the journey of forgiveness until it's finished. Forgiving is not pretending the wrong did not happen. Neither is forgiving allowing someone to continue willfully and maliciously harming us. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It happens when we consciously decide to cancel someone's debt. Which means we will not hold that wrong over the person any longer. We're not going to actively seek to punish or turn others against that person. When we forgive, we decide we will not retaliate. 
or repay someone for what he or she has done. In doing this, we make space for God to avenge us. If he thinks we need to be avenged, he's going to avenge us. God's word still declares in Romans, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Forgiveness gives God permission to fight the battles for us. We don't have to worry about it. We shouldn't think of forgiveness as a feeling, especially at first. I know it's easy to, to do that. It is, it is deeper than ceasing to, to feel angry. It's de- deeper than ceasing to feel resentful or, or hurt by the situation. And there's cases where it may be a long time before we can feel that way, where we don't feel the hurt or the anger or the frustration. It may take a long time, but we need to think of forgiveness as a commitment to act or not to act. Over time, God will change our feelings. They will soften and not sting quite as much. It may take a long time, perhaps a year or longer, but God can work in our hearts to help us to forgive when we seek to obey him. And God will heal our hearts, and we will be able to think of the person who hurt us without feeling hatred, anger, or bitterness. The sting will be gone. Choosing to forgive takes a moment, but the process takes time. And when we can know that when the process is complete, when we have truly forgiven that person and we don't feel the way we felt before, and we can have faith that God is working through the process as long as we're trusting him. We have fully forgiven when we no longer tell our story as the victim or try to get people to sympathize with us and turn against the person who hurts us. Further, we know we have, been, we have forgiven when we no longer get pleasure or satisfaction when we hear something negative has happened to that person. I can say I've been guilty of that before. But forgiveness is not an option. If you've been hurt, forgive. Don't wait until the person comes to you seeking to make everything right. Just go ahead and forgive. Because they may never, that may never happen. They may, they may never come, if I can get that out. They may never come and ask for forgiveness. But our Lord commanded us to freely forgive. To forgive without any limitation. The one who forgave our unpayable debt calls us to forgive the debts of others. And he stands ready to empower us and bless us as we seek to obey him by forgiving others. I've experienced things like this in my own life. As I'm sure many of you have, I've experienced things that didn't seem fair. I felt like I've been taken advantage of before that I've been manipulated. I've, I've done things for people and out of the goodness of my heart and had them be ungrateful and critique the method or maybe they didn't like the outcome. I've been hurt by people before. 
I've been accused of, of things that aren't true. So I know what it's like to wrestle with, with unforgiveness. I know what it's like to feel resentment towards someone or to feel almost happy because something happened or didn't work out for them. But that's not the way it's meant to be. I've learned that through a process and dealing with my own particular situations that the way to really forgive someone, even though you may have said the words is, and the struggle is still real, is that I learned that when I started to take that person to prayer, and it was a powerful experience. There's been people in my life and particular people that I had a really hard time thinking of them and not feeling anger or resentment. But as soon as I started taking their name to the Lord in prayer, God started to work on my heart. He started to work in the situation. All of a sudden, I began to see how that the way I viewed that person began to change. I didn't feel so much anger anymore. But it wasn't just simply praying for that person that started to change me. But it was when I realized that, you know what, i got to pray for this person to have the same kind of blessings I want to have in my own life. So I started praying that the Lord would bless their family, that the Lord would protect their children, that the Lord would bless them financially, that he would give them a promotion, a better job, that he would bless them with health, that he would save their family and their relatives. The same things that I desired for the Lord to do in my own life, I began to sincerely pray that the Lord would do that in that person. And then before I knew it, the anger was gone. The resentfulness was gone. And I could truly look at that person and I could pray a sincere prayer that wasn't just words that I was saying, but it was a sincere prayer for God to bless their lives. So what I'm saying tonight, if you want to be blessed, if you want to see God begin to work in your life, then you should forgive people for the things that they do to you. And you should pray for them because it's a powerful thing to do. I've also seen the other side where people don't forgive. Uh, personally, I knew someone very well, and very, very early on in their life, they were still a teenager, and things would happen to them, and, and they wouldn't understand it, but instead of letting it go, and in, instead of offering forgiveness, they would hold on to it, and they would remember that person, and they would remember exactly what happened. And I'm not talking about guys, I'm not talking about, I'm just, I can say this because my wife's not in here. But I'm not talking about the things your wife doesn't let you forget. <laughs> but these were things that were, you know, that hurt this person. And, and they would hold on to them. And I'm, we grew up and grew older. And, and throughout life, things continue, continued to happen. And you've seen almost like, they, almost like they were aging more than they should have. Because they were constantly carrying this weight of unforgiveness. And it got to the point where probably, I would say, in a matter of 10 years for this particular person that 
they carried so much of that resentment and unforgiveness. And, you know, sometimes we talk about somebody, and I wouldn't even think about what had happened to them, but that was the first thing they want to bring up was what that person did to them or what so-and-so said to them or how they treated them. And they just never let it go. And then one day, it just seemed like overnight, next thing I know, this was someone that grew up in the church. They served God their whole life. They, they've stopped going to church. They stopped serving God, and they had turned to, to alcohol and started using alcohol as a crutch because of the resentment that was in their heart. But it wasn't, at this point, it was no longer resentment. It, was, it had become bitterness. And if you know how bitterness is, it's, it's an evil thing. Nelson Mandela said resentment and bitterness is like drinking poison and then hoping it kills your enemies. Then he went on to say, if you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy. And I think that applies to what I spoke about earlier praying for your enemies. I've since talked to that person many times, and I've asked them, I was like, have you forgiven everybody for these people for what they've done? Have you just taken the, the time to try to pray for them and just to see if God can work it out for you? And, and they're still very hesitant. And I know that if, if they don't find some way to get past that bitterness, they'll probably never find their way back to God. Because it's a simple concept. If we want be forgiven. We have to forgive others. If someone has asked us for forgiveness, we have to forgive them. Once they have asked for forgiveness, or if we have someone do something wrong to us and they ask for forgiveness, they're free. But if we can't forgive them, we're the ones that are still bound to that. So once someone asks us for forgiveness, Let's just forgive. I wonder if we could stand tonight. You know, if we don't want to for, offer forgiveness to someone that's requested it, we are the ones that suffer. It's not them. And I know there's people in here, just like me, that you've experienced pain You've experienced people that have mistreated you. Some of you have probably experienced worse abuse than I could ever imagine. And, and some things you've probably gone through that I could never see how I could forgive through it. But I think the Lord is, is talking to us tonight. And I wonder if we could just take a moment to just, to just pray, if it's, if it's appropriate, just reach over and Put your hand on the person's shoulder or arm next to you. And let's pray that the Lord will begin to heal wounds. That the Lord will begin to work in our lives. God, I pray, Lord, that you would look down upon us tonight, God. Lord, you see our situation, God. You, you see what we've gone through. You see our scars. You see our pain, Lord. Lord, if there's anything that... We need to see, God, I pray that you would uncover it, Lord. Lord, if there's bitterness in our heart, Lord, I pray that you, will, that you will show the root, God. Show the root cause, Lord, of the situation so, so that we can repair it, God. Help us, Lord, to, to seek our neighbors and our friends and to seek those that have done us wrong, Lord, and, and to forgive them, Lord. 
Help us, God, to, to pray, Lord, that you would bless their lives and bless their families. And through that, Lord, I know that you will begin to work and that you'll begin to heal our hearts and begin to heal our wounds, Lord. God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy tonight, Lord. And I pray that you will let this go with us tonight, God, and that you'll continue to move in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, and help us to forgive even when we can't seem to forgive. We love you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you for these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.